Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. This is episode 75. We did it. Uh, today, we're going to take a little bit of a break from the LGBTQ plus series. Like I said, they weren't necessarily all going to be in order, but over the next little while, we're going to have several interviews with members of that community, and I think we've gotten a great uh, response to those episodes so far. So keep listening. But today, I want to share with you an interview that I recently did with the mayor of South Jordan, Utah. This is Dawn Ramsey that I'm about to introduce you to. She is an incredible woman. She has been uh mayor of South Jordan now since the beginning of 2018 and is actually in the middle of a re-election campaign right now for her second term uh, where voting will take place this November. And I really enjoyed sitting down and having this conversation with her of, you know, being mayor was really her first experience in government and having an elected position and what that experience has been like. And she really, in a lot of ways, is a master at public relations, collaborating with different people in the community, and really having a vision of bringing people together that I really admire and had a great time in this interview talking to her about some of those specific examples uh, that she has had in her time as mayor and uh, some different things that we can learn from that. She also has done a lot with the federal government representing her city. Uh, she's had several trips out to Washington, D.C. that we talk about in this interview and uh, kind of a cool look at how the federal government looks to and wants to collaborate with local governments around the country. So this is Don Ramsey. Enjoy this interview. And uh, well, that's it. Here we go. Well, Mayor Ramsey, welcome to Millennial in the Middle, and thanks so much for uh, being a part of this interview with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the invitation, Connor. I really appreciate this. Your podcast is awesome, and I'm, it's a treat to get to be a guest on your pod, oh, uh, especially in person. I right? know. This is my first interview I've done, like, not on Zoom in a while. And so not only are we in person, but we're here at City Hall in the <laughs> mayor's office. I'm feeling pretty cool today, so thanks for that. Yeah, it's a great day, and it's just a treat to have you here. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. So let's start here. Uh, first off, I, I have some South Jordan ties myself. And uh, let's start with a little bit of trivia. And this is not gotcha journalism, all right? Don't <laughs> worry, you'd have no ability to know this question before. Because we did not discuss anything. <laughs> no, we didn't. So as I'm talking to my family, like my family has deep South Jordan ties. My parents were high school sweethearts at Bingham High School just down the road, Great. class in 1985. Both their parents moved here in the the 70s and I found out that my grandpa's dental office is the second longest continual running business license in the city of South Jordan still I running today. I love that. I love that. And I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's great. They've changed their doing business as like uh, now they're Jordan River Dental. It started as Miller Dental. But yeah, my grandpa in 1978 starts business and uh, still running here today. Do you have any idea? I had to look it up. So I wouldn't trust you. Any idea what the number one is the longest? Longest rent? No, I don't. Okay, it's Performance Auto, right on Redwood Road. Really? They are the longest running besides them. So shout out to them. Well, right? shout out. That's shout awesome. Keep doing it over forty years. That's so, great. Uh, I love it. Well, uh, this isn't about me. Obviously, this is about you. This is about South Jordan. Uh, let's start with South Jordan. I've got a lot of listeners that maybe aren't uh, from Utah, or they're all over the all over the state. Maybe even you are from Utah, but maybe you learn a little bit more about this city. So tell me a little bit. <laughs> well. 
I have a bit of a bias, but I love South Jordan, and it is it is truly one of the finest cities in America, I believe. In yeah. fact, I'm not the only one who thinks that. Um, we've been ranked in the top 50 and in the top 25 best cities in America uh, several years in a row. Wow. So I know we're quite proud of that. So yeah. South Jordan is a suburb of Salt Lake City, and we are we are oh maybe 20 minutes south. You know, if you take the freeway 20 minutes south of of Salt Lake City downtown. We have a little under 100,000 residents. We have a very long linear boundary. Our boundary goes from I-15 west to the Ochre Mountains. So if you've heard of the Kennecott Copper Mine, the Copper Pit, um, that is just west of us. And the Ochre Mountains right there is where the Kennecott Copper Mine is. And our boundaries go from the freeway all the way to uh, the Ochre Mountains. Okay, here's some trivia. You probably know this, right? But to our listeners, there are two things that you can see from space. If you're out there looking down on the on the globe, the first is the Great Wall of China. Recognize what that is. I actually should say man-made, right? Man-made right. things that you can right. see. And the second is Kennecott. the Kennecott Copper Mine. How cool is yes. that? Who would have ever thought? I Utah know. and China. I know. Uh, all right. So we talked about China in other episodes. We're not doing that today. <laughs> today we're talking local. We're talking South Jordan. So that's a little about the city. Tell me a little bit about Don Ramsey. What has your life been like before you decided to be a mayor? You know, I I have six children, so I'm a mom of six. My okay. husband and I have been married almost 29 years. Okay. We've lived here in South Jordan um, 17 years. We built our home here, and we're still in the same home. Uh, we have kids that have gone to Bingham High School and Harriman High School, mm-hmm. and we didn't ever move, you know, sure. <laughs> boundaries being what they are. And we love this community, and, and I had never run for public office before I ran for mayor. Um, I've done a lot of community service, and I served as the region PTA director for Jordan School District. So kind of the the parent representative uh, at the district administrative level, overseeing the volunteers and the PTA programs. At at the time, we had 57 schools, and there's now seven more than that. Uh, The district continues to grow, but I had a chance to be part of that. I've served on the Jordan Education Foundation Uh, which is the foundation that supports the school district. And in fact, I have the opportunity to become president of the foundation in in September next month. Yeah, Love that organization and the good that we're able to do for our students and our teachers and supporting classrooms in our district. And so I'd been involved. My husband's been the president of our local baseball league for a very long time. He's been a volunteer for 17 years for the league and has worked hard as a coach and and uh, just helping keep the league going so we had done quite a bit in the community but i had never run for public office yeah and you know i I decided to run for mayor it was an open seat our mayor was not running for re-election and i knew i had a lot to offer to the residents of the city i knew that i could probably help accomplish some good things and I work really hard and and I learn quickly and and I put my whole self into whatever I do and so far I'd had pretty good success at representing whatever or whoever I represented and just offered to do that for the city if they wanted me to and I just appreciate so much the chance to do this it is an honor to be the mayor of such an amazing city with such great people and I love it I love it more than I ever knew I could. That's awesome. You know, I had a little while back, it was probably like 30 episodes now, I had a city manager on, a city manager of El Cajon. It's in San Diego County, about a suburb of San Diego, actually. And, uh, you know, he kind of explained his job as the CEO of the city. It's a little different because he's hired as opposed to elect as an elected official. And uh, so he kind of gave us a feel for what he did as a uh, city manager. Tell us a little bit, like, what does a mayor do? 
besides sit in the parade. Like, I think that's what we might think. Yeah, I'm I'm the mayor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there are different forms of government. And so I don't know what the form of government is in El Cajon. I'm not sure what it is. But we have a council manager form of government here, which means we have a mayor, city council, and we have a city manager. And the city manager is the chief administrative officer of the city, and the mayor is the chief executive officer of the city. But the administrative officer, as the city manager, is the one who oversees all of the day-to-day processes of what happens with the city and and staff. And the city manager reports directly to the mayor and council. And we have a handful of positions that do report directly to us. But the majority of the staff report to the city manager. Okay. And so he, you know, everyone thinks that the mayor is the one to contact if if there's a pothole or your garbage <laughs> didn't get picked up or yeah. there's, you know, a, the sprinklers are on somewhere and shouldn't or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, the city manager really takes care of all of those things. Okay. Really. So. And uh, so I guess what would you say, like, your primary responsibility is? What is, what is a day in the life of the South Jordan oh, Mayor you look You know, like? it's a busy day. Yeah. Ba- days are busy, but I love it. They're filled with good things. So I have the chance to represent us at all things legislative, working with elected officials at every level of government, not just across the state, but, but nationally, really. I've had the chance to represent South Jordan at every level of government. And I serve on, I'm up to... 30 or more boards now across the state it's it's there's a lot but it's such a privilege and it's it's a benefit to our city to have a seat at the table of so many things that are taking place but i serve on our on our water district board and on our sewer district board and we have representation on on many uh seats that really there's input that's needed from local government. Cities need to say, I serve on the point of the Mountain State Land Authority. I've been appointed to represent local government on the Utah Unified Economic Opportunities Commission, the new commission that was just started this year by our governor and put in place by our legislature to really forecast and plan and make policy to guide and direct the uh, future of our economic development here in the state. I represent the public sector as public sector vice chair of the Economic Development Corporation of Utah. I serve as chair of the Wasatch Front Regional Council Regional Growth Committee who oversees our regional transportation plan for the Wasatch Front. Envision Utah. There's there's just a, a lot of opportunities that I yeah. get to represent us at the legislative level. So I work one-on-one with our residents. I love spending time in our schools. I love serving on the Jordan Education Foundation, which is not a result of my being the mayor. The rest of these opportunities came about because I'm the mayor, but I served on the foundation board long before I was elected, and, yeah. and I my heart is just there. That's what I love so much. But but I get the chance to really be involved in what's going on in this state and to make sure that the needs of this very rapidly growing city, I mean, we've, we're still classified as the 12th fastest growing city in America, and we've wow. been in the top, you know, 15, top 10 uh, for more than a decade, for yeah. quite some time. It's, we've been growing rapidly. And so having representation and being able to represent our city at all of these conversations really matters and we've seen some great successful outcomes as a result of this representation so cool so you are coming to the end of your first term you're you're hoping to have a second and we'll see how that goes right but you know looking at these four years now if you were to get a little retrospective like what would you say have been the highlights well it's been amazing. It's not all roses, right? We, we're living in a pandemic. We've been uh, yeah. going through a pandemic. There's been a lot of civil unrest, and there's been a lot of um, polarization politically in America. I think 
everyone could recognize that maybe it's not an easy time to be an elected official, but we have had so many great things happen in our city. And so I'm really, really proud of the work that we did with Glenmore Golf Course. And I don't know if we want to talk about that later. Yeah, let's finish with that. Let's finish with that. But but love, love what we were able to do at Glenmore. And really proud of the fact that we were able to get additional funding by applying for grants uh, to pay the additional money required to make what we really wanted to have happen at our interchange at 104th and Bangor Highway happen. That was intended, uh, the Utah Department of Transportation intended that to look similar to the other overpasses that you see up and down Bangor Highway as that's transitioning and it would have been a big, you know, up and over pass. And our 114th and Bangor uh, interchange is unique to the rest yeah. of Bangor, and it goes under. And that was something we really wanted for 104th for a variety of reasons. It's not just aesthetics. It really, there were a lot of reasons, including economic impact yeah. to the businesses that are right there. And so we worked very hard to, to acquire grants and funding to be able to pay the difference to make that happen. And, and it's well underway. And I know, I know people are a little stressed out about the traffic <laughs> right now on 114th because those two interchanges north and south of there are being done. But hang in there with us because it's going to be amazing when it's done. Yeah. Um, very proud of public safety. We opened our public safety building. We dedicated our public safety building. And that was put into place by the previous council. But it was built. And we were able to open it. And we also built our new double fire station and police station on the west side of our city. So it's our fourth fire station. But it's a double station. So it can house two precincts. And eventually we are going to need another fire station west of there but what it does is really maintains our response times and keeps the entire city safe east to west everyone is safer having that fire station there because the stations those responders can respond in their own area and don't have to travel all the way across the city leaving anywhere uncovered it's as we grow it was something we really needed and i'm quite proud of that i never want to have to look a resident in the eye and say i'm sorry that XYZ happened and we weren't able to help or to save your loved one sure. or to respond appropriately because we couldn't get there fast enough. And that's yeah. not that's not something I ever want to have to say. So I'm very proud of that. Yeah. You know, I think it's so interesting because especially my generation or I think all of us when we think politics, we think about the president, we think about the White House, we think about what we watch on Fox or CNN or maybe whatever right. pops up on our social media. And what you just said right there, all of that's so practical, right? Of just like, <laughs> you drive on this road every day. What is that experience going to look like? Or if you have an emergency, how quickly can the you know first responders get there? And none of that, I can be like, oh, well, that's a Republican way of thinking, or that's a Democratic right. way of thinking. We're so quick to label and put each other in these groups. And I think that's what's interesting as you describe this in small government, it's practical. and. What has your experience been as you've like learned that firsthand? One of my favorite things about serving as mayor is that here in Utah, local government is not um, party-based. So you don't it have an R or a D next to your name no, when you run. it is nonpartisan. And I think that's the way it should be because yeah. I agree with you. Local government is has the greatest impact on our day-to-day lives, the things that we feel the most. When, you know, people will look at what happens back in Washington or something and go, oh, you know, regardless of which side of the aisle they're on, they're afraid that the world is going to end as they know it if another party, you know, comes into power. And that's always been the case, regardless. You know, people have really always shared that concern. I think we're turning the lights off here. (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway, 
that's what happens in Washington is not going to affect whether or not you can get down the road quickly. Sure. It's not going to affect whether or not the fire or police responders can get to your house in time to yeah. save someone. You know, it it doesn't and and although that does certainly have an impact on our lives, it's not the same as local government and I don't think decisions like public safety and roads, safe roads and the things that we really worry about here sewer coverage and water um, making sure we have water and making sure we provide parks and opportunities like that. Um, recreation, you know, local activities, those should not be partisan. Those should not be political. Yeah. And I appreciate here that they're not. It's it's something I truly love about serving in local government. Yeah. I mean, why does it matter? You know, and I think so often that the bigger government gets, the more we focus on that. And, and it's out of necessity to create teams and get the most votes right. possible to try and win. I know that you've had a lot of experience with the federal government. Like you've been to the White House several times <laughs> in your uh, in your t- you know tenure here. Uh, you've worked with Mike Pence as VP. Like, tell me a little about that. That's really intriguing to me. Well, you know, it's it's a unique opportunity. It's fairly unprecedented. But the White House in 2018 okay. had the first ever women mayors conference at the White House. There are all sorts of political conferences that take place back okay. in our nation's capital. But the White House had never hosted local government like this. And the women mayors, there were about... 50 of us from across okay. the United States, maybe yeah. maybe a little bit more than that. Um, but in the in the um, big picture, looking at how many mayors there are across America, yeah. and there are not nearly as many women as men, but but still 50 to 70, somewhere in that okay. number. Um, I think 70 might be generous. I think it's closer <laughs> to 50. But we had the chance to go and sit down with White House officials and have conversations and hear from them. And, and they wanted to learn from us. And they answered questions. And it was truly remarkable to go with a couple of my colleagues here in Utah to go back and and represent local government and women who serve as mayors in local government with our federal administration. That is super unique. And that was the first time I had the chance to hear from Mike Pence and I had the opportunity to welcome him to South Jordan. He came and spoke here in 2019 oh. and I had the chance to welcome him. And, and I've been back to the White House a couple more times. I've been invited to go and represent local government in Utah at roundtable discussions with administration at the White House and to sit down around the table, a bipartisan conversation um, in the White House with the housing secretary and to be able to discuss the needs, housing needs across America. What does this look like in your community? And we came from different kinds of communities. Sure. And such a rewarding experience really a great opportunity and so i appreciate that it's been it's been truly a privilege to get to interact that way and to receive regular updates regular communication from the white house um not as many uh, maybe during after the pandemic and and there's always a change in mindset with different administrations they go about things a little differently um but but the first couple of years of my term that was certainly the experience and i didn't have anything to really compare it to but I'm told by many people it was kind of a first, you know. So wow. it, it was really a great opportunity to interact. Yeah. Man, that's really neat, right? And I, I mean, personally, everyone knows that listens to this uh, podcast knows that, you know, I am a proponent of small thoughts and business and having that lead that way rather than top-down management, I think specifically when it comes to our federal government. It's cool to see you on the ground as a part of that, hopefully having some influence in, you know, things that are done and, uh, 
and having a national government that cares. I agree. You know, it, it's. I don't think we've really moved the needle very far on this yet, but one opportunity I had was to speak to the Transportation Secretary personally about the need for being able to allow federal funding and grant opportunities to extend the red line, the tracks line that we have that ends, that goes from the University of Utah and it ends here in South Jordan. And we really need funding to extend that. And while it's greenfield and dedicated land that's already been set aside the right of way, it's foolish to not have any help with funding until it grows huge like Atlanta. And that's truly what it is. You have to have density like that before you can qualify for any federal help for something like that, which is inefficient. Sure. Um, in, in some cases, it may be, well, we don't want to build it unless we know people are coming. We know people are coming here. Yeah. They are coming, and we do need it. And so that was a unique opportunity to talk to the transportation secretary about that and say, this is a concern for our area that's growing quickly in our community. That's a policy that should change. Yeah. Ah, that's neat. Like, do these people, do you do you have their cell phone number? Like, could you text them? <laughs> could you shoot them a message and be like, hey, where's that money? No, probably not. No, but but I do have the chance to, to get to know our federal delegation and their staff and to know them and to get to work with them. Yeah. And I appreciate that they care about what we think here at, in cities, what yeah. we think in local government. I have the privilege of, of serving, right now I'm first vice president, and next month I'll become president of the Utah League of Cities and Towns, representing all 248 municipalities in yeah. the state of Utah. And I really appreciate having the role to be able to speak on behalf of the cities. We work closely with the cities, and we have a board made up of people from all across the state representing cities and towns, so we, it's as broad and equal a representation as we can make it. And we come together, and we have a legislative priority committee, and then I'll get to, I get to go be the voice of that on behalf of our cities. And I appreciate having a federal delegation that cares. So, no, I can't text anybody, you know, like yeah. <laughs> anybody in the administrative level. I don't have those, those phone numbers, but I... I do know the people who do know how, yeah, and so that's interesting. it's great to get to work with, with people at every level. Yeah. Can I share a unique thing that I learned after all my trips to the White House? Absolutely. Give it to Getting me. the chance to go back there. When, in my mind, I can't speak for everyone, but in my mind, I always pictured Washington, D.C. as this bureaucracy of people who... I didn't really understand maybe or couldn't picture as regular people, just mm -hmm. like you and I. Um, it, it just seemed this this far-off bureaucratic machine, if yeah. you will. The thing that I took away the most, it was the most uh, revelatory part of my experience going back to the White House, is that they are... There are amazing people, wonderful people, just like you and I, just yeah. like the listeners, just like the residents, just like the people of America, because they are people yeah. who live in America who are working very hard to do good things for this country. It restored my hope in humanity, in mankind, in the future, and in our federal government and the yeah. republic that we love so much by seeing these good people who are regular people, just like yeah. you and I, working hard to accomplish good things for the people of the United States. Oh, I'll never forget it. I love that. And, you know, I guess we'll, we'll go on a little tangent here. Uh, you know, I, on this show, have often talked about, like, the Founding Fathers and these people in American history that we look to. And I think there's danger in deifying these men, right? Uh, you know, it's funny. I walked into your office, and you had uh, George Washington's Prayer at Valley Forge there, that same painting that I've talked about on this show. And I knew we had that connection. But I think... When we look at those, you know, in this case, men at that point, right. that 
oh, they had just special skills and special abilities, and they did things that we could never attempt, and they were perfect. It makes it feel unattainable for us now a couple hundred years later. I personally love looking at the faults and the things that, you know, Abraham Lincoln, he changed his mind about different things over and over and tried to get a feel. And guess what? When Abraham Lincoln was around, his own party didn't like him and definitely the opposing party didn't like him. And I think under those lens, you're like, we can do this. There was nothing in 1776 that they had that we don't, but we've got to come together and learn from that. That's what they did. They figured out how to make solutions. And I think what you're seeing is such a real world application of that in 2021. I think so. I appreciate that. And not deifying those who have gone before, I think is so important because they were regular people, just like all the rest of us, just like everyone serving right now. Sure. It, it, doesn't matter to me what party you belong to it doesn't matter to me what your what your ideology is which which direction you lean there are really good people working on behalf of everyone whether we see things the same or not yeah. very good people there were in the previous administration there are in this administration currently yeah. i know there are good people working on behalf of america to do what they believe is best and we may not always see what what that is the same right we may not have the same vision for what we think is best for america but i am truly grateful for everyone regardless of their uh, affiliation politically um that's willing to step up and work hard on behalf of the people of this republic yeah man i love that um while we're on this hypothetical note or philosophical note i want to ask a question um we see a lot right now, like, for example, the the national government is all of a sudden talking about mandates again, and, oh, we've got to do this or that. And we have certain governors, like, for example, two that are in, you know, in the spotlight right now, Governor DeSantis of Florida and Governor Abbott of Texas, that are basically saying, you know, we're not going to do what the federal government wants us to do here. We're not going to have the same mandates. And, you know, it'll be really interesting over the next little bit to see how right. that pans out. And so my question is, in a hypothetical way, you, you know, all of a sudden you're a city within a state. Can a city go rogue like DeSantis is trying to go rogue, right? And be like, you know, could you be like, oh, Governor Cox, we're not listening to you. We're not doing that here in South Jordan. Like, is that even plausible? People try. Yeah. Not very many people, but it's been tried. There have been sure. attempts made. Should that happen? No. Is yeah. that the way it's designed to happen? No. And and you know, I, I've had several people over the course of the pandemic reach out, either demanding that I require masks everywhere or demanding that I eliminate a mask mandate and that South Jordan doesn't have to have one both sides. You know, sure. I've heard from both sides. And and it occasionally it's a it's a very respectful request and often it's been a demand you know yeah. this is just you know whichever side they feel about yeah it. and um there are people reaching out even after seeing what's happening right now Absolutely. i got an email just this morning from someone who's concerned about what they're seeing at the federal level with starting to require and, and another local city who is now saying if in our city buildings they're going to be required and and they are very worried about turning back the tide and and you know our answer is very simple we in south jordan will do what we're told by the state what the state orders because we are a subdivision of the state you know we are a subdivision of the state and if the state makes a mandate or if the county makes a mandate under the authority that they've been given from the state if they have the authority to do that then that is something that we fall under and that we intend to follow and we don't intend on going rogue (laughs) sure (laughs) on our own here in south jordan because that really isn't 
we're, we're going to work with the state on that. We're going to do what the state recommends. Yeah. And in my opinion, that's the way it should be done. Yeah. But there will always be people who feel like now we're not yeah. we're not playing that game or yeah. we're not following that lead or whatever, you yeah. know, however they feel. But in South Jordan, we in my, during my administration and historically, we'll always go along with what the state yeah. does. Well, it's interesting because there, there's always a – a community is a, made up of other communities, right? right? And it just continues to roll up. And where does that, where does that line stop? I, I think that's a question that our generation, our society is faced with right now. And how we respond to this, you know, I, I think the next six months will be even more fascinating to see how America responds than the first time. Because, yes. uh, yeah, so obviously we've talked about COVID plenty on this. I don't <laughs> want to discuss that here. One of your key uh, key parts to your platform is small business. I really respect that. Uh, you know, we started basically this talking about my grandpa, 40 plus years here in South Jordan. Why to you is small bit, small and medium sized businesses like the lifeblood of a community? Oh, it's absolutely the heart of our community. It is the lifeblood. And, you know, I was so worried during, during the COVID shutdown, you yeah. know, about our businesses. And we do have, we have a small number of small businesses that, that have not been able to really weather the storm of COVID, but yeah. overwhelmingly the majority of our businesses here in South Jordan have come through quite well. And our our residents who were able to use drive-through or, or you know continue to um, use the services and frequent businesses that were able to find a way to adapt and remain open, they did. And it's it's really made a big difference. You know, the world is becoming so global, executive, corporate, and global, right? Yeah. Um, we don't have the same boundaries that we've always had because of the internet honestly you know yeah. you can do business with anyone from anywhere yeah so this keeps thinking we're not in my <laughs> office anymore <laughs> we're staying so still that we're the motion it sensors are turning no us off here, hey but we know that south jordan is doing their best yes, to conserve energy we certainly are. you're not leaving the lights on here in the office <laughs> that's right um i've never had that happen though so sorry <laughs> uh, anyway um i think small business is so critical and we can't let that die with corporate becoming so global yeah we it's important that we have large corporations that can accomplish big things globally yeah but the mom and pops shops and the local small business i really do think is critical i think it's at the heart of what we do we need to support our friends and neighbors with their small businesses yeah i love the shop small business local small business you yeah. know that goes right along with right after black friday yeah um there's there's so many things that are personal that can't be afforded to people by large corporations. You know, we we need the small the small restaurants and we need the the small businesses and the the place where you can go get your hair cut and the uh, you know yeah. the, the optometry office and the dental office and uh, it's the lifeblood of keeping people going. We can't we don't all work in corporate America. Yeah. And we also need people in the trades. I think those who work for companies with the trades as well. Yeah. It, it's just critical. And there's not as many people going into that. But we need to support our local mechanic shop. We need to support our local dealership that that is able to help take care of the things that keep us running. In my opinion, small business is similar to local government. It's what really is the heart of a community. Agreed. And we need 
things on a bigger scale, but small business is absolutely critical to quality of life for a community, I think. Yeah. So you work, you know, face to face with a lot of these small business owners and hear from them and you're involved in the Chamber of Commerce and all these things. So maybe to the younger listeners, millennials like me, Gen Z that are up and coming, what advice would you give to them about like starting their own business and doing that? Is that something that is a thing of the past? Oh, absolutely not. I say go for it. There has never been a better time to start your own small business, really. The opportunities available now, there's, there's more access to help and mentorship, to grants, pilot programs, training. There's more information, more opportunity for education than there ever has been. Yeah, You can come from nothing and fulfill your American dream and accomplish what you want to accomplish better easier now than ever easier with a little asterisk it's not going to be easy it will be a great deal of work but but the path is there it's proven it's been paid and you know i i'm quite proud to live in utah where over the last 10 years we have had the strongest economy in the nation and have been ranked as the best state for starting a new business starting a small business people have succeeded more and been better able to afford the american dream um, meaning to accomplish it, you know, to work hard. and But it can happen anywhere in America. Sure. We, we have the opportunity to do whatever we want. There's nothing to hold us back. And it doesn't matter, you know, what, what your life is, what you look like, what you believe, what your orientation is, what your religion is. What, it doesn't, none of that matters. You can accomplish anything here yeah. in America. And I love that. Yeah. So takeaway, like get involved in small business, get involved Absolutely. in small government if you want to make an impact. So I think this leads us right to where we kind of wanted to end the episode. Talk about making an impact. One of the things you're most proud of, and I definitely with my family ties am proud of, is the Save Glenmore campaign. Uh, I will give a little background to this, actually. So Glenmore Golf Course, it's one of the only, there aren't many golf courses in South Jordan. It's a big city. There isn't much of a recreational bit there. Everyone knows I come from a golfing family. You know, I got a couple golf pros in the family, and including my dad. But my dad got his first job at 12 years old at Glenmore Golf Course picking balls out on the driving range. He worked in the shop there and kind of that really has been his whole life now of working in the golf industry. Uh, His whole family grew up there. That's where they all learned to play golf. All four of my dad's siblings, or the four siblings, all played college golf and all started right there on that uh, course. Fast forward the clock then 30 years. Now my aunt, my dad's youngest sister, Darcy, who you know really well and honestly connected us, (laughs) is the head pro at Glenmore Golf Course. And all of a sudden, Glenmore was at risk of being turned into development and housing, just like, you know, so it's a common story. Tell me a little about that, how you got involved, what happened? You know, it's that was such a unique situation and yeah. challenging because there were constraints that, that left most of us with no ability to change the outcome. Yeah. You know, we, we really, we had some of the best and brightest people looking at what to do. So the previous owners of the golf course, the family who owned it, had had some... Um, legal disputes that they were uh, in court with and had been for over about about five years is my understanding and finally the judge ordered the property to be put under the direction of a receiver and sold for the highest value uh, possible which is development not a golf course not a golf course that's a lot of land all of those amazing people who have homes along the golf course and like 
like your family who have lived there for generations, like love yeah. Glenmore. That's that's their home. They chose to live there. And people from across the state of Utah who enjoy golfing there, and I'm telling you, we heard, heard from people far and wide. They came out in droves and said, you must save this golf course. It cannot be sold for development. But having it be under the George, George excuse me, under the judge's order, yeah. it left the city with really no. <laughs> the recourse. odds were stacked against. They were you, stacked yeah. very much against us, and as strong as we felt that, you know, we believe in smart growth, and we are very, um, very supportive and pro. Um, land rights, property rights for people. Yeah. They have the right to do what they want with their property. However, we also felt like this golf course needed to stay a golf course. That was the best uh, use for that land. And yeah. it's what everyone wanted. It simply came as a result of a judge's order. And it was unique. The situation was quite unique. Anyway, we had a public hearing one evening. A, a Save Glenmore campaign was launched by the residents, you know, and and we were very supportive of that we still didn't have any tools in our toolbox to do anything about it so we thought uh, as as did some of the best and brightest minds who were helping us try to strategize is there anything we could do anyway it wasn't possible for the city to buy the golf course and we put out a, a resident survey across the city and overwhelmingly people came back and said save that golf course but don't raise our taxes and there's no way to buy the golf course you know if we didn't do that we didn't uh, want to raise the, taxes i want my either. cake and want to eat it too option on this <laughs> right there was that wasn't possible and we didn't want to raise taxes yeah. to, to buy the golf course but there was no money to buy the golf course and uh the price was based on development rights. Okay, well, this is what it's going to be worth for development, and, it, and it's going to be really, really high, and no one would buy it. I mean, I know people reached out, including us, but residents reached out to people everywhere, everywhere that we knew of, that there were people who loved golf and had the money that they could buy it, and, and it was just not um, going to have a good ROI for anyone yeah, to invest that much money, yeah. right? And so... Anyway, one night we had a public hearing, and we heard from over 400 people that night. Uh, we had, well, I, there was between four and 500 there, so I might be wrong. I can't remember how many we heard from, but I know there were between four and 500 there. We heard from a lot of people that yeah. night. We were there for many, many hours in the high school auditorium at Bingham. Yeah. And 100% of the people who spoke shared their story about why this golf course needs to be saved. And as the council and I were sitting up on the, on the uh, stage in the auditorium at the high school, I realized at the end of the comments I, I just had a thought come to my mind and and i said to the council what if we simply say we are not going to rezone the property it was not zoned for the type of development that they intended to have what if we as a city council simply say we are not going to rezone that we will not rezone that and it was like a light went off for all of us, for everyone in the room. Yeah. And I know the receiver was there in the room and he heard that and that was all he needed to hear to know, okay, then that does not mean the value is this. That means the value is this. Yeah. And that was a game changer that changed everything and allowed us to be able to find a way to have a buyer come in and, and have it be worth their investment to buy the golf course and to preserve it as a golf course. And it just was the game changer for everything. And it was a, a special moment, I think, for the hundreds of us that were in that yeah. room all together. And it's something I will never forget because zoning is something that we have the authority to do as cities. It's our responsibility. And the assumption, I think, had always been there that if 
if it was ordered to be sold for the highest value, that meant development. So clearly we would have to rezone it for development, but we didn't have to rezone it for development. Yeah. We had the authority to say no. And so we said no, and it changed everything. And that amazing golf course, beautiful golf course yeah. that is busier than it's ever been. Absolutely. It's amazing, has been preserved. And just like they came out in droves, begging that it be saved people have come out in droves with appreciation for saving that golf course it was very fair to the um, landowners before the judge signed off everything went the way it needed to it it met the judge's um, orders it met the requirements that he put in place for the previous owners it worked out for the new buyer and it worked out for the residents of south jordan and everyone else who loves glenmore so that was my first year as mayor that was kind of a thing so yeah, you have to you know a, trial by fire it's but a w in my book what an amazing experience it's something i'm very proud of and appreciate yeah. everyone who had a hand and a passion and and worked to help us make that happen yeah you know, when I started this podcast, one of the things that I said was, I think a lot of us don't get involved with politics and we don't often inform ourselves because we feel like we can't do anything about it, right? Okay. So it's like, why, why should I care about this? I mean, even with voting, especially like in a general election, you're like, and eh, my state's decided or what I right. do doesn't make that big of a difference. Right. And the result of that is we stay silent, we're uninvolved, we're uninformed, and I think a story like that, you know, you saying you going to DC and having that restore some of your trust in the system and in the fact that you can make an impact and can make a change for those 400 people in that call or in that high school auditorium that night, like that's got to restore some faith that, hey, people working together that can come and agree on a common cause can accomplish stuff. But it starts from the bottom up as opposed to, Oh, no, is it Biden or Trump today? Right, right. Top down is not the winning strategy. I agree with you. It starts at the bottom up. And, and, you know, we're never all going to see things eye to eye. Yeah. That's part of the beauty of this republic is that we aren't aren't set up that way and we aren't mandated to do so. Yeah. You know, that's... That's one of that's our greatest freedom yeah. is that we get to think and decide and choose for ourselves. Sure, and it's not something that everyone's afforded. So I'm so grateful for that. But that being the case, we can. It was Ruth Bader Ginsburg that that, and I'm not going to get her quote exactly right, but she said we we can agree, but we need to disagree better. Yeah, and um, it you know it's just it's something that I just really believe. I just really believe at every city council meeting before our public comment, I say that we have the opportunity to really share our thoughts about what happens here in South Jordan, but we need to remember that we're all here because we love this city. We aren't going to see all of these solutions the same, but we're all here because we love this city. And so we need to maintain civility and respect in this chamber amongst every person in the room so we can come up with the best outcomes for South Jordan. And you know, I think I think that's something that we need to remember in America. There's so much more that we have in common than that divides us. Yeah. And right now, right now, I think we're hearing a lot of of the things that are divisive, and they're being pointed out. And I think it's really important that we remember we have much more in common as Americans, as human beings, just as as people. than we have that's different, that's between us. And I think if we can focus more on what brings us together, what we do have in common, and bring our disagreements to the table and work together to compromise, I don't think that's betraying your party. I made a a public Facebook post recently that said, 
how much I appreciate those who are really willing to come to the table and that I don't think that it's betraying your party to be willing to sit down with someone from another party and work together to find solutions because anyone who serves as an elected official represents everyone regardless of their political affiliation and partisan politics needs to be um, considered with a scalpel and and we need to be willing to work together to give and take a little bit here and there to come out with the best outcomes whether it's in our city whether it's in the state of utah or whether it's for the united states of america and so well said i i think all of this just demonstrates not only the ability or the desire to speak up and the willingness to and to get involved but also to look at the having the ability to listen right like those two pieces have to be in place get involved get informed speak up but also remember to seek to listen, learn, and understand. Absolutely. You know, I was going to, I kind of had in my notes in this episode, like, all right, I'd finish with, you know, you letting people know why they should vote for you or why you want a second <laughs> term. But I think throughout this conversation, to give you the chance to give some 60 seconds, like 60 second stump speech of here's my platform, here's what I'm going to do. I don't think that speaks to what we want to know. Like we want to get to know people for who they are, how they think. And you know what? listening to you speak for the last 45 minutes that should do all of that and more right and and so you know rather than us looking at politics of well what is their three second platform (laughs) that all of them are going to sound so familiar get to know these people get to know what they've done get to know how they've responded to adversity get involved yourself and if you do that like you're kind of make smart decisions along the way would you agree thank you i agree and i i think you know i I don't know if you've heard the rule but if you're giving a speech and you have to tell people what your topic is or your subject then you're not very good at giving the speech yeah i think if i have to tell people um you know about what i'm doing and if my record and and getting to know me doesn't speak for itself then i don't think i'm doing a very good job at what i'm doing so i appreciate that i um this is who I am, this is how I feel, this is how I work. Yeah. And I think that uh, actions speak louder than words. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a lot of merit in, in looking at one's track record. And because lip service is easy to give, sure. right? But I think you can, you can really judge a person on, on the decisions they make and the actions they take and the choices they make. If I can maybe just wrap up with, you know, I mentioned Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but um, Arthur Brooks is one of my favorite authors, and I had the chance to visit with him and spend some time with him um, in April. He came and was the keynote speaker for our League of Cities and Towns conference, and had the chance to visit with him, and he just inspires me with his his nonpartisan, bipartisan efforts to try to unite America and help overcome the, um, the feeling of contempt, right, that we have here in America, and, and that that is so easy to feel contempt for someone else. And I just just want to give a shout out to his efforts and say, you know, I agree with that. The culture of contempt, it, it should not have a place in our hearts. We need to, to work together and come together and not hate people who feel differently than we do. Yep. And or look differently or believe differently or practice differently or whatever. Um, we're all human beings and I believe we all come from the same God. And and it, it doesn't matter to me what you look like, what you believe. If you're working to be a good person, to help your neighbors, to work hard, to be honest, to have integrity in your decisions, and to do you know, good things for those around you, then I'm grateful. 
So thank you for that. I think that's what we need here in the city. I think it's what we need in our state, and it's what we need in America, and we have a lot of it. Absolutely. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure the listeners will as well. Uh, Where's the best place if people do want to learn more about your platform or the city uh, to go? Oh, thank you. There's, um, we have a a website, you know, South Jordan City has has a website. and it's very, you just search South sure. Jordan City, it'll come up. And then also, um, I am running for re-election this yeah. year, and so DonRamsey.com is where, okay. where you'll find me, and the election is this November. So Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> well, good luck yeah. to you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for your service over the last four Connor, years. Great. And uh, hope you get to expend, extend that, you know, and uh, thank you for especially this time today. I really appreciate it. I end every episode the same way. I think you agreed to at least dance along, maybe not sing, <laughs> yes. but clowns. I love to sing, but my voice is a little off, so go for it. Take it away. Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Thanks, Mayor Ann. <laughs> Thanks, Connor. All good right, to see you. have a good one, everybody.